Hello and welcome to the Under Pressure podcast on a day where we saw what I think will be the biggest motorsport racing story of the year break and potentially one of the biggest sporting stories of the year. But we'll get into that in a minute. Joining me here today, as he always does, is Jake Barker. How are you going? Yeah, I'm good, Matt. How's things with you this week? What have you been, what have you been up to? What have you been watching? Not much. Um, just had a quiet few days. I've been doing a lot of research and a lot of thinking about my uh, top 10, which we'll get to a bit later on tonight. Um, yeah, nice. But, but given how big the sporting news was today, I want to jump straight into it. Sebastian yeah, Vettel, true. the Formula One four-time world champion, has announced that he will be leaving Ferrari at the conclusion of the season. He said today in a, or he, in a statement uh, that was written in a joint statement between, between Ferrari and Sebastian Vettel, uh, he said a few interesting things. The team and I have realised that there is no longer a common desire to stay together beyond the end of this season. Financial matters have not played a not have played no part in this joint decision. That's not the way I think when it comes to making certain choices, and it never will. So, for those who don't know the F1 situation, this is essentially the first domino to fall in the driver market for next year. It's it's left us with a number of questions. And I'm going to try and answer two of these questions. What does this mean now for Sebastian Vettel? And where will he be racing next year? And two, who will take his seat at Ferrari from next year onwards? So I'm going to start off with that second question first. Because by answering that question first, we'll be able to answer the other question. So I believe that there are four drivers on Ferrari's wish list. As in uh, who's going to come and take his spot for next year? Yeah. Yes, I think there's only four. I can only see four drivers taking that seat and one of them is very much from left field. The first okay. one is Lewis Hamilton, the six-time world champion. He might be a seven-time world champion at the completion of the season. Um, if you, yeah, if you've got the opportunity to hire the best, you should always hire the best, and he is the best. He's raced in 250 races. He's got 84 wins, 151 podiums, and over three, nearly 3,500 points. That means that in two-fifths of his races that he has raced in, he has been on the podium. That is an unheard-of number. However, looking at it, looking at it now with a few seconds of hindsight, not quite as good as our Sebastian Vettel's numbers of who's been in half his races have ended up on the podium. He's been on the podium 120 times in 241 races. I did not think about that before I spoke. Both these drivers have dominated the last 10 years of racing. Sebastian Vettel won the world championship between 2010 and 2013, and Lewis Hamilton yep. has won every one, set, one since, except for 2016, where he was beaten by teammate Nico Rosberg. <laughs> I think the case for Hamilton coming 
to Ferrari is simple. It will complete his CV as the only thing he is yet to do in, in Formula One is to race for Ferrari. And that is, I think, in any driver, whether it's four wheels, two wheels, touring cars, open wheelers, you name it. The dream is always to race for Ferrari. They are the most known racing team in the world. They are, they're up there with the Manchester United's, the Barcelona's, the, the Dallas Cowboys, the most known teams in the world list. They're at that category. The driver who I think is most likely to get the seat, um, because he's um, because he just ticks all the boxes essentially is um, Daniel Ricciardo out of contract at the end of the year. Um, he's arguably one of the best overtakers on the grid. He's been in 171 races. He's won seven of them and been on the podium 26 times in a car that has not always been capable of getting onto the podium. And they've been races like he's in his first year at Red Bull. He had no chance on winning at Spa, no chance of even being on the podium yet. He won the race. Yes. Lewis Hamilton, Nico Rosberg did crash into each other. And one of them had to retire from the race. Yes, that happened, but he still did it. When he senses a, a victory or he has a chance to sneak a victory, he does it more times than he doesn't. And I think he is the most likely option. I don't, I'm not sure if I see Lewis Hamilton at Ferrari, but I definitely think it's within the realms of possibility. And the next driver is Carlos Sainz. Young driver, also from the Red Bull Driver Academy. Um, sort of got pushed out of the Red Bull family uh, because him and Max Verstappen don't really get along in their days together at yeah. Toro Rosso. They crashed a bit and caused a bit of friction and Red Bull decided that it was best not to have him partner um, Verstappen at Red Bull last year. Um, he's raced in 102 races. He's only got the one podium, but he had a brilliant first year at McLaren. In a car that's yeah. not super competitive, um, but finished best of the rest. And for those that don't know what I mean by best of the rest is he finished essentially seventh in the championship behind you know, behind the Red Bulls, the, Merce- uh, the Mercedes and the Ferrari. He was usually that driver that across the line seventh each race, earning the title of best of the rest. Or as some people have called it, the world, the B grade world championship. <laughs> yeah, it's very, very much true. You always see those and, top six as well. And the next one is very much from left field, um, but you've definitely seen it in more recent years, obviously with Red Bull having the driver academy and promoting those drivers through the ranks. Uh, Ferrari actually did it last year um, with um, Charles Leclerc, um, which was a new move for Ferrari because normally they go poach an established driver who is ready to win a championship or is a past world champion. Sort of like your Daniel Ricciardo's or your Lewis Hamilton's or what they did in 2015 with, uh, with Vettel bringing him to the team 
and before that, Fernando Alonso. But this driver um, doesn't yet have the runs on the board, in my opinion, um, is Antonio Giovinazzi, who raced for Alfa Romeo this year, or last year, and will be racing for Alfa Romeo this year. He's raced in 23 races, not been on a podium before, but got 14 points. So he's got points, but is that there's a huge step between fighting for ninth and tenth and a world championship. So I don't think it'll be him. So I think the next domino to fall is the most important domino in the driver market. And that is Lewis Hamilton and Toto Wolff. Both drivers, or both driver and team principal, have their contract finished at the end of the year. Um, it's been widely publicised that Toto Wolff um, has bought shares in Aston Martin, who will be joining the grid as a team next year in the Lawrence Stroll-led Racing Point, which will be rebranded to Aston Martin next year. It's been rumoured Toto Wolff is going there because he's bought a bucket load of Aston Martin shares and hasn't committed to Mercedes long term. If Toto Wolff leaves, I wouldn't be surprised if Lewis Hamilton follows. And the question I have then is, if he keeps racing at Mercedes, is there anything more that he can achieve apart from being a world championship? Does he need any challenge in that world championship? Does he, Because... He's raced at Mercedes since 2013. Would he, to, um, to be viewed as the best driver, need to go to another team to win that world championship? Uh, I mean, I feel like what he's doing at the moment is, obviously, he's won the last few championships bar that 2016 one to Nico Rosberg. But it, it's a bit interesting because if he was to go to any other team besides Ferrari you feel like he wouldn't really be in the running to win that championship, which I sense is what he wants to keep doing. Yeah. The thing is, I feel if like he wins... Yeah, Ferrari and Mercedes are better cars. So, and he's obviously probably in mine and maybe your opinion, the best driver in the world at the moment. He needs to and... be the one in the, in the best car, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's a chance... But I, I think if he, I think really and truly, I don't mean to be sounding, sounding I'm sitting on the fence, but I think there's a 33.33 continuous percent chance of him staying at Mercedes. I think there's a 33% chance that he'll go to Ferrari. And I think there's a 33% chance that he'll go to Aston Martin. I, I don't, in saying that, it sounds like I think he's leaving the team, but I really don't know what he's thinking. There's a lot still to play out this season. Um, in saying that, I think it's, I still don't, not sure if he'll leave, but it's a possibility. Then there's Daniel Ricciardo. And to be honest, he is probably, if Hamilton doesn't want to join Ferrari, the man they're going to pick. Because it, as I've said, they've got a history of picking the established driver, the one that's ready yeah. to win a world championship. And that's, his, and that's their guy. Um, deserves a thing. He's also got a bit of an Italian heritage, which won't hurt Ferrari at all. <laughs> but the thing is, yeah, he'll be, he'll be, he, he will be partnered with Charles Leclerc. 
the guy who's got a long-term driver until the end of 2024 with Ferrari. He is their guy. And he is also approaching that stage on being ready to fight for a championship. He just needs the right car. The thing is, do you want to have two top dogs? Well, if if Ricardo goes to either Ferrari or Mercedes, you feel like either of those teams will have two top dogs. Would you not say? Yes. Uh, Not necessarily Mercedes. If Hamilton leaves and he joins Mercedes, Bottas would be a number two. Do you feel like Bottas is as good a driver as Ricardo? I think Ricardo is considerably better. Okay, and then with a better car would be even yeah. Yeah, better than what he was in a Renault car. Or Red Bull, yes. Yeah, then, Bull, obviously, yeah. So that's the thing. Do they then go with Carlos Sainz, who could be that supporting driver, but if the opportunity presented himself, he could fight for the championship? I, I just don't know. I, it's, it's, it's such a tough call. Obviously, this news only broke this morning with um, the reports that he was leaving and was confirmed about 5pm local time in Australia that, Ricard, uh, that Vettel would be leaving Ferrari. So, in summary, for the first question I had, what does that mean for who will take Vettel's seat? I think most likely it'll be Daniel Ricciardo. But that, then again, I wouldn't be surprised to see Lewis Hamilton or Carlos Sainz take the seat. The other benefit, and this is thinking long-term Ferrari planning, if they did go Daniel Ricciardo for three years, say three years, roughly, I'd say Ricciardo, who's uh, 30 years old, three more years, three, four more years, get him to 31, uh, to 33, 34, they could promote another driver in the Ferrari Young Driver Academy, who I'm expecting to be on the Formula One grid next year. And his name is Mick Schumacher, the son of the seven-time world champion, Michael Schumacher. Just saying, a few years of Ricardo. It could be a few years of Ricardo, and then they've got a Schumacher ready to join Leclerc in Ferrari. It seems... It could be a nice feed. Yeah. Um, Mick Schumacher is not ready for the Ferrari seat next year. He's in his second year of Formula 2 this year, and many expect him to join Alfa Romeo Sauber next year. Oh, wow. Yeah, I think Kimi Räikkönen will retire and Mick Schumacher will take that seat. Yeah, gotcha. But that's another thing. Um, later in the year, in a, in a few weeks' time, um, what I'm going to do is I am going to make my F1 driver lineup predictions and we'll post that on social media. I'm just going to wait for the dust to settle a little bit here before I publish that list. The other question I had is, what does this mean for Sebastian Vettel? Reading between the lines of his statement, it doesn't talk about retirement. He could be undecided on his future, or maybe he's he's got a rough idea where he's going to go, but it's not always normal for a team to announce their drivers for 2021. 
in May 2020, regardless if there's races already being held. They normally don't tend to announce drivers until sort of the second half of the year. And even then they try to not announce it too much that this guy will be racing for us this year. But in recent years, sort of with the Daniel Ricciardo situation, it was very much known sort of just after the summer break in August that Ricardo was Renault's man. So Vettel has been, it's been rumoured that he's been offered contracts from both Renault and McLaren. Both teams offered those contracts with the view of if their driver, Ricardo or Sainz leave, they've got a four-time world champion they've already approached, which is actually a very smart move. The contract doesn't, the contract offer does would have had a clause in it. This will only happen if we've got a seat due to driver market. So it makes sense. So I think it's most likely that it will be at either Renault or McLaren next year. If I had to say he would be at one more likely than the other, I'd probably go with McLaren. Um, they are getting Mercedes power unit for next year, which is a huge horsepower lift from their Renault engine this year. So that's that's a really positive thing for um, McLaren. It's going to be hard with because they thought the new regulations were going to come in next year, but unfortunately they're not due to the corona situation. Um, so it does make it a little bit hard to adjust this year's car, which will be next year's car, to a Mercedes power unit. But that's just one challenge that McLaren will have. So that's going to be interesting, but increased horsepower, I'd probably go to McLaren. It's also one of the most prestigious Formula One teams on the grid as well. The other question I have is, Red Bull only have one contracted driver for next year in Max Verstappen. Could Vettel return to the team where he won four drivers' championships? A team where the car is designed by Adrian Newey. And Vettel seemed to react better to an Adrian Newey-type designed car. There is a question of... Did Vettel respond to that car better because it was the style of car that suited his style better? Or was the car physically just a better car in that era? Or what won Vettel those championships? Was it the car or was it him? I think Vettel peaked early and his peak finished sooner than... um, His peak period wasn't as long as most other drivers. But if you remember at Red Bull, he was, people were talking about him being the best driver ever at that point in time, going up there with the Ayrton Senna's and the Michael Schumacher's. So that's... Oh, yeah, the, the, way, the way he was racing back then was ridiculous. I don't see him going back to Red Bull. Sebastian's never really got on well with a teammate who's beaten him. Didn't handle yeah. Ricardo very well in 2013. 14 and clearly didn't handle Charles Leclerc last year. There were moments where you refused team orders and didn't do the team first strategy that ultimately cost Ferrari potentially a better spot, better finish to the race in those years. So I I don't see him going to Red Bull. 
That's why I think it has to be a McLaren or Renault. He would still be top dog at both those teams. And you'd have a young driver who is emerging, but would know your teammate Sebastian Vettel. He's a four-time world champion in a midfield team. Let him do what he wants. Or does he go to Aston Martin like Lewis Hamilton could do? I'm not saying Hamilton's going to Aston Martin, but that's another team where he would either, if he went to Aston Martin, I think he would probably partner, and I'm speculating here, Lance Stroll, given his dad owns the team. Yeah, I would say he's not going anywhere. Unless Lauren Stroll could manage to get both Sebastian Vettel and Lewis Hamilton. And holy moly, that would be an amazing team to watch. I don't know. That would be funny to see his uh, Lance Stroll's reaction after that, if that happened. <laughs> yeah, but it's also, it also should be said that um, Sergio Perez does actually have a contract with the team for next year. But um, a lot of things can change. There are a lot of clauses in Formula One contracts and they could be changed. I don't know the exact clauses in Sergio Perez's contract, but that is something I'd definitely keep an eye on. Now, moving past Formula One today, um, some of you may have seen on Instagram on Saturday that we released our top 10 AFL players from 2000 to 2020. Um, And Jake and I both had different lists. Jake and I had the same four players in our top four, but in a slightly different order. Jake, why did you pick Gary Abler Jr. as your best player in those in those in that twenty year period? So just just to give just to give a bit of light on on how we were picking these players. So we were only using the years from two thousand to twenty nineteen. If they had done anything previous to some of the older players that might be on this list that we did not include any of that kind of stuff. So for instance, say maybe a James Hurd or a Michael Voss, their Brownlow medals were prior to 2000. So we didn't include that in this, in this, in this list that we've made. So yeah, as Matt said, I had Gary Abel Jr. as my number one. Over the, over the period he's played 346 games. So, probably one of the most. Uh, he started in 2001, so all stats are, are a go. He's kicked 437 goals. As we're looking at how they play, premierships, they are they do matter in this and how they played in those premierships. So he did win two premierships with Geelong in 2007 and 2009. In one of, the, in one of those years, he did win a Brownlow medal as well. 2013, I believe he also won another Brownlow at the Gold Coast. So that's two Brownlows, five MVPs. So voted in by the players. So so moving on to that, he's won eight All-Australians in that time and three Champion Player Awards as well. So in that, that, I just felt like he was one of the, the most silky, the most strong hips, um, one of the most 
amazing players to watch. I mean, I have a little bit of bias as, as I do go for Geelong, but even at his time at the Gold Coast, still watched him, still amazing, won a Brownlow. Uh, he, is, he has won the most Brownlow votes ever at this current point in 261. So in including that, he had far, 55 best on ground performances, which is the most in the, in the Brownlow medal or that have been counted while the Brownlow medal has been done like that. Over that time, he's averaged 23 and a half, 25 and a half disposals, I should say. And that includes his first four years as a small forward where he did not play in the midfield nearly as much. So 25 and a half disposals in, three, in 346 games, just, I had, to ha- I had to have him at one. Yeah, you, like, what did you what did you go for your number? Um, I actually, um, I didn't actually look for the stats when dividing my uh, top three players that much. I sort of w- went with these sort of players, the players that I thought played. Like I just simplified it and went, which are the best players? And I actually went with Chris Judd. I've never seen a player that when he's got the ball, it feels like the rest of the world is moving at a much slower pace as him. Um, football sort of slowed down around him and he just, he did some incredible things in both the West Coast and Carlton. And I feel like I've never respected any AFL player higher than I respected Chris Judd. And for me, that's why I went with him at one. And it, it, I can't really explain it. But I just had to pick Chris Judd at one and give him the three Brownlow, the three Brownlow votes to see Judd. Yeah, but that, I mean, that's, that was the joke back then, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> vote see Judd. <laughs> um, I, I just can't think of a player that looked better with the Sharon in their hand. Um. I then had um, Gary Ablett Jr. at two, which I think you had Buddy Franklin. Uh, yeah, yeah, I had I had Buddy slotting in at, at, at my number two, and I had so, Buddy at I had Buddy at three, and you had C Judd at three. Correct. So it's kind of a bit of a mixture of our of our top threes, and then our number four is the same. Yeah, yeah Buddy but, was he was ridiculous. He was. Just I just went through some some of his stats. He just kicked nine hundred and forty five goals, which is insane. Which is three goals a game in three hundred games, which is phenomenal. Four and I feel like having and I feel like having Buddy at three doesn't do him justice. That's the one thing yeah. that I've really struggled with in the day since I've gone. I had Buddy at three. Wow, but um, remarkably. We had uh, both had Adam Goods at four. Uh, for those of you who don't know, it's very, very rare that Jake and I agree on stuff in sport. Oh, it's probably the, yeah, it never happens. Never happens. Probably won't ever happen again. Yeah, so this is our Haley's Comet. So it'll happen again in 72 years' time. Happy now. I then went with Nat Fife because I believe that he's been the best player of the second half of the decade. So from the 10, 2010 to 2019, 
I put yep, Nat that's five that's there because I think he was the best player of that second half of the decade. Whereas you've got Chris Judd, who I think was the best of the first and then still had years to show up in the second. So that's why I had um, Nat Fife at five. Why did you have Matthew Lloyd at five? Yes, I went, I went a bit left field with this and I, I, had, to really, I had to really dig as I, I've had a lot of time as of late. So I, I sort of dug through the stats and I had to work out, obviously Lloyd played a bit in, in the 90s. So I had to sort of cut out what he'd done before then. So I took a look at what he'd done in the 2000s. And this, this, is what I, this is what I found. So in 169 games, obviously not every game, he kicked 681 goals, which is four goals a game. I just feel like I could not leave him out of the top 10. He's one of, if not one of the best forwards of the 2000s. Along right there with Buddy, I think. Different type of players, but I felt like I just had to have him at three Commons, three All-Australians, still in this 2000s period. Four goals a game, playing on some of the great backs. Uh, Sauce, Scarlett, Fletcher. He played on Fletcher at training. So, like, he was playing on some of the, the best full backs at training and during games and still able to produce your four goals a game. And he was just a phenomenal forward. I, I really loved enjoying, I really loved watching him play. And I think he would have got to a thousand if not for that, uh, that Maddie Knight's kerfuffle at the end of his career where he had to go up and play on the wing at some point. So that was a bit weird, but yeah, I had, I had Maddie Lloyd five. I've also gone for a bit less nowadays player, but, Back in the uh, the first the first ten years of the uh, the twenty, we went with Simon Black. Very underrated play when he was uh, playing in Brisbane. Obviously, you had the uh, the Michael Vosses as well, who were who in that squ- in that squad. Nigel Lappin, Jason Ackermanis, always liked the limelight. Black was one of those guys that sort of sat back and just did his work, and let that sh- let that show what he could do. He, he won three, won three flags, was predominant in all those premierships, racking up 20-plus disposals in each of those. Won a Norm Smith in there as well, Brownlow medal. Um, and he's one of those, one of the five players, I think, to uh, have the, I think it's the Brownlow, the Norm Smith, and I can't remember the third one. Do you remember the third one, Matt? A premiership? Possibly. Could just be the premiership. Could be just a premiership and Norm Smith and a Brownlow medal. So he's I don't know if that's hundred percent correct, but I think there's there's a there's a group of players that, that there's it's only a small handful to choose from. So with hundred and seventy five Brownlow votes as well, and that's just in the time in the two thousands was I thought too good to too good to pass up for mine. Now you've gone with a bit of a modern player again here at number six. Where yeah. this one? Um I've gone with Dustin Martin purely because I sort of looked at all the years and I went, which player had the best individual season in one of those years? And for those of you who can't remember, 2017 
for me was the year Dusty had a blinder. Um, I thought he had an unbelievable season and it didn't matter where he was on the ground. You just went, give the ball to Dusty because he's going to do something magically magical. And then you add into that season that he was trying to get a contract extension. Not many players have a good year when their contract is up for renewal. He had that pressure. And then many people have said this, and I, I tend to agree it. The day Richmond won the flag was the day that Dusty re-signed with the club. It just felt from that moment the Tiger train was going in one direction and one direction only, and that was to win that premiership, to get the breakthrough premiership. And I've never seen in AFL a player as an individual carry everything on his back. And he's he won the Norm Smith. He won the flag. He won the Brownlow. He won the Coaches Association. He won every single award that year. And if there was no, if he was allowed to win the NAB Rising Star, he would have won that too. He just didn't. He played too many games and was too old. But if he was eligible, he would have won it. It was that sort of year, and it was absolutely phenomenal. Now, for me, I'm also a guy that loves sportsmanship, and this might sound an odd way to when selecting your top ten. 10 but I went, I had to pick one of the good guys for sportsmanship in my top 10. And I went with the Captain Games record holder of the St Kilda Football Club, Nick Rewalt. The thing is, every time you saw him on the field, he was leading that team. He was showing some of the best sportsmanship I've seen on a football field and he just did. He was sort of the, this might sound an odd way to describe Nick Revolt, but if there was a sport, if your parents said, I want you to behave like that on the sporting field, that was Nick Revolt. It was sort of like the, your mum's ultimate goal for the way that you behaved on any sporting arena. The, Opposite of Nick Kyrgios, I like to call it. (laughs) And that's why I picked it, because I think, for me personally, I think when you're selecting some of the best ever, the greatest of all time or the best over a period, I think many people overlook sportsmanship. And this is something that just oozed out of Nick Revolve. And he had a phenomenal career on top of that with St Kilda captain it for um, age uh, for the game's record hold for the club as captain. And he did so much more than that to the footy club. He got, he kicked 718 goals over 336 games with St Kilda captain in 2005. And then from 2007 to 2016 club best and fairest winner six times St Kilda's leading goal kicker, four time, uh, five-time All-Australian. He was a NAB AFL rising star. The only box, unfortunately, he didn't tick was the premiership. 
but every other box he ticked. And I, I am delighted to have Nick Rewalt in my top 10 because I can't think of a player that has deserved it a premiership more. He was brilliant. But you went a little bit yeah. different to that. You went with another good guy, another guy that sort of had a good few sportsmanship attributes to him in, in Sam Mitchell. Yeah, so kind of like, I've kind of gone down the, the Simon Black route as well. I kind of see Sam Mitchell a bit like Simon Black in the way that he, he would hang back and let all the let all the teammates like you had he had Buddy and Cyril and Hodgie and he had all the guys that were right up the front, but he was in there, did all the dirty work and he he was just he was just a great player to watch. I really, really enjoyed the way he used to lead the he led the troops early on in the uh in the two thousands where they unfortunately uh, decimated Geelong in that 2008 grand final, which I have not watched yet, Matt, and I will not be watching. Um, he's he he was he led from the front in all four flags that they won. Won a Brownlow in the end, if not controversially, but did win a Brownlow. Three All Australians as well. In that time, in the 2000s time, he's actually third place in. Brownlow medal votes behind behind Gaz at two twenty seven Brownlow vote. So it just goes to show that he does he does rack up the disposals and he does rack up the votes. It's just other people have one good year and it might be better than him. He's just been a really really consistent consistent player for, for through his entire career. Even that one year at West Coast that he had, he was he was phenomenal. He had a very consistent year that year. Throughout this time, he's averaged 26 and a half disposals. So you can't really ask more from a, a midfielder, really. And he's started as a young rookie and look where he's got to now. So it's, um, it's amazing to see. And I'm very happy to have him on my list, which I wouldn't think many people would. But he's proven, he's proven himself to be a very, very good player in this league. Now, with my last, last few picks, I've gone... I've gone back to the uh, the modern era. I've, as Matt had Fife at five, I have him at number eight. I won't delve into too much as Matt went into it a bit earlier. But yeah, as as Matt said, he's a phenomenal player. Probably as Matt said, the best player of the last ten years. I would say, 174 games, 150 goals, two Brownlows, three three All Australians, two MVPs, and phenomenally. Phenomenally, shouldn't use that word. That was a bit difficult. 174 Brownlow votes. So he's polling a vote a game, which is insane. If you, if you have a look at the stats, it's it's a, I believe it is the highest that someone has been polling. So it it's a bit ridiculous when you can you see the numbers and also averaging 25 and a half disposals. It's and he's been injured a lot and it's. Good to see him back out on the park the last the last couple of years. So I ha I had him had him at eight. Sliding into my number nine position, I had Dusty as you had at number six. As he Matt talked about before, what's there to say about Dusty? He's probably been a, the most consistent player over the last 
three or so years. The Brownlow, a couple of Norm Smiths, uh, 176 Brownlow votes, so right up there with five, 225 games, 250 goals. So it's quite, it's quite astonishing how how well he's played over the last three years, and hopefully continues as well. Albeit a bit more in the forward line, probably as well. What, uh, moving on to who you have down this end of your your list, man? Um, sliding at number nine. I've I've still got to do number eight. Oh, apologies, apologies. Who yeah. There? Um. So I, as this is my top ten, I thought, why not put a player that I just like to watch in my top ten? And I put Scott Pendlebury. I, he's one of those players that I just, I'll, I'll, if, if it's a Collingwood Gold Coast game, I will tune in just to watch Scott Pendlebury. And just the way he goes about it, got a bit of that Nick Rewalt, um element that I spoke about earlier, but absolutely brilliant player to watch. Um, 302 games, 178 goals. Uh, Collingwood Premiership, uh, Collingwood Premiership player, Norm Smith medalist, six-time All-Australian, on top of four All-Australian 40 squad um, selections. Uh, AFL Coaches Association Player of the Year, which, in my, I actually rate that in a way above the Brownlow because it's voted by the coaches. Um, three AFL Anzac Day medals. Um, the list just goes on and on for Scott Pendlebury. And that's why I've actually picked him because he's just absolutely brilliant to watch. But at number nine, I've actually gone with um, a player that I didn't appreciate how good he was until he played for Brisbane. And it's pretty hard to think that he was a two-time Norm Smith medalist and four-time premiership player at Hawthorne. And it took me for him to go to Brisbane for me to discover how good of a player he was. That does sound weird. I knew he was good. I just didn't know he was that good. Um, Hodge, just to me, epitomised working hard to get results and his stats are brilliant and if you look at um, since 2013 he's pretty much played there about 19-20 games a year big game player there's probably no one better than Luke Hodge on a in a big game um, and that's um, proven by the fact that he's won two Norm Smith medals. He just did it, did it, it week in, week out, put in the hard work and just dominated the game from the back line. And rounding out my top 10 is Michael Voss. Um, I don't remember much of Michael Voss, but what I do remember was he was an absolute beast. He's just, he sort of retired, was approaching the twilight of the career when I started to get seriously into football. Another great player to watch. Um, obviously the three premierships um, and everything is 
one of the reasons why I picked him. Um, but I remember him a lot of when I was a kid. I just went, he is an absolute jet. Now, I'm just going to quickly mention the players who were very unlucky in my list not to feature in the top 10. I had Dean Cox, arguably the best Ruckman of the period. Eddie Betts, loved watching Eddie. Absolute fire, uh, not uh, not fire, absolute live rocket with the ball. And to have, I think, every single pocket at the Adelaide Oval known as Eddie's Pocket. And then there's one pocket that's <laughs> definitely known as Eddie's Pocket. Just says some of the remarkable things he can do with the football. And controversial, because I know Jake doesn't like this. Um, Jack Revolt as my other honourable mention. Um, just three Coleman medals, two premiership medallions. Um, just done enough in my mind, to make that sort of that top 13. I know that's a weird way to finish off the honourable mentions, but he's just done enough to be in the conversation and absolute brilliant player to watch. I know some he's a player that you either love or you hate. I probably like him. I'm not going to say I love any Richmond player, but I like him. <laughs> so who was your top 10, your 10th player and your honourable mentions, Jake? So, as you had uh, Michael Voss at number 10, I really, really ummed and ahed about the player that I've chosen and Michael Voss. The thing that really made the difference between the two players and picking, who, who, and picking number 10 was how much time they've actually spent in this 2000 to 2019 period. And Michael Voss had just the, just the six years, six, seven years in this period. And the guy that I've gone with, Patrick Dangerfield, has had the 12, 13 years experience. And the reasons why I have picked him, not I'm by... Just I was about to say, say, is it because you're a Geelong supporter and you see blue and white? Yeah, I... I I have copped this already from Matt, so uh, I'm already used to I'm already used to it. But this is my honest opinion. 248 games, 283 goals. He's won a Brownlow. He's won an MVP. He's won a Champion Player. He has won seven All Australian selections, which not a lot of think. That is a lot more than people I think would know, as He's up there with guys like Buddy and Ablett with the amount of selections that he's had in the All-Australian team. And that's picking the best players to play in a 22. So I think if you can be selected in an All-Australian team seven times, is phenomenal. Another phenomenal thing I actually found as well is he has 207 Brownlow votes. That's, that's good for sixth all-time. And I, I just I just couldn't pass pass it up with the years difference between Voss and Dangerfield. I had to go with I had to go with the stats and stats don't lie. And in this period, I think although Voss has played in three premierships, I think stats wise and play wise, I think Dangerfield just edges him out for, for me. 
Now going into my uh, honourable mentions, obviously, as he didn't make my top 10, obviously have Michael Voss right there as an, honor, an honourable mention. Uh, like Matt had Dean Cox, in my opinion, uh, clearly the best ruckman of this time period. And also I had to get a defender in there and clearly the best defender over the last 20 years has been Matthew Alex Scarlett. France. You said Alex Rance's. You said Alex Rance's name wrong there. It's Alex Rance. Say it for me. Yeah, yeah. Nice joke. Nice joke. Nice joke. But we all so know that Matthew Scarlett is clearly, clearly the best defender of the last twenty years, and we, and we all know that. And I, I couldn't, without, be without being biased. I honestly, I would have selected him regardless of regardless of what team he played for. If he played for anyone else, I could I could recognise that he's clearly the best defender. Just like I can recognise that Dustin Fletcher was an amazing fullback and is clearly in the top three of all time, as well as Stephen Silvani as well. So I think I had to have Matthew Scarlett in there. He's a fantastic player and I wanted to get a defender into into my honourable mentions there, Matt. Yeah, um, for me, I completely get those selections, even the Geelong ones, I know even I know you well enough to know that they aren't a biased selection. Which I don't think Jake believes me what that I'm saying that right now. No, I don't actually believe you. I can't believe I've got those words out of you. Well done. Yeah, I'm um glad. Dust uh, Danger sorry, Danger was my next cab off the rank. So uh a very good football player. But that's, unfortunately, we're getting towards the end of our program for this week um, on a historic day for motorsport where Sebastian Vettel informed Ferrari that he will be leaving the team. Jake's just got an update on our social media. So as always, don't forget to follow us on both Instagram and Twitter under pressure one underscore. Under pressure one underscore is that again. Uh, by the time you hear this as well, we'll actually have a Facebook page going. So if you do see that, please like it and share it with friends and family and colleagues. That would be fantastic as well as sharing the Instagram and Twitter too. That would be awesome. And as always, you can listen to the Under Pressure podcast on Apple Podcast and listen to us through the app Podbean, which is available on the iTunes store and the Google Play store. Once again, on behalf of Matt and myself, thanks for listening and we'll see you on the next.